This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, March 30th, 2023. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include details on Apple's latest operating system updates, which were just released. Mac Stealer is a new strain of malware that can swipe your app support files. And web browser session cookie theft sounds innocent enough, but we discuss a number of user-specific data points that are accessible to session cookie hackers. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing fine. How long ago was it that we had our last security updates for Apple's, all of Apple's operating systems? Wasn't it just three weeks ago? Because we had some new ones on Monday, as usual, for the Mac, iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Watch, HomePod. But didn't we just have a few just three weeks ago? Well, the one security update that we had relatively recently was the GarageBand one that we mentioned. That came out on March 7th. The only other security updates that we've had recently were back in mid-February. And at that time, we had an actively exploited vulnerability that was patched in iOS 16.3.1. Well, we got a whole bunch of security updates this week. And the only actively exploited vulnerability out of all of these that was patched was in iOS and iPadOS 15.7.4. Guess what? It's that same vulnerability that didn't get patched. There were zero patches, none at all for iOS 15 six weeks ago uh, on February 13th when we got those other patches iOS 15 just got completely left out. Six weeks later, now they finally released that patch for an actively exploited vulnerability. So that means for the past six weeks, Apple has knowingly been leaving iOS 15 people vulnerable. Why does Apple do this? Objection, Your Honor. Leading the witness. <laughs> I understand your pain here, Josh. I understand. And whatever reasons there are, there are reasons. But think of it this way. Not only did they patch an actively exploited vulnerability, but they pre-patched vulnerabilities that aren't yet actively exploited. In every security update, they're patching things that we didn't even know about, and it's proactive security. So isn't that a good thing? Well, of course, that that's a good thing. Yeah. My, my concern is the false sense of security that on, on the one hand, the false sense of security that Apple is giving to iOS 15 users by here you go, you have a security update. Well, guess how many vulnerabilities were patched in the 15 version? There, there were 16 vulnerabilities patched. So this covers two patch cycles, at least now, because we've got the February patches and we've got the March patches. And of those, iOS 15 gets 16 patches. Now, iOS 16.4, the one that just came out this week, has 33 patches, not to mention that we got a bunch of patches in February. Now, I, I know, I know, granted, not necessarily does all of these patches for iOS 16 relate to 15. They may not all apply to 15, but probably the majority of them do, or at least a significant number of them do apply to 15, but Apple's choosing not to patch them for 15. So just don't just stop, right? Like encourage people to upgrade to 16 and then we're all good, right? Well, in an article in Mac Rumors in February, they point out that Apple Apple regularly gives out statistics of which devices are using which operating system. 
81% of iPhones introduced in the last four years are running iOS 16. So only 15% are running iOS 15 and 4% earlier. Now, it's interesting they say that because introduced in the last four years, anything that's older than four years is certainly not running iOS 16, right? Well, so here's the thing. The one benefit of Apple patching 15 is really for people who are still on older models that can't be upgraded to 16, right? So that that would include the 6S, the 7, the first gen iPhone SE. There's also some iPad models in there as well. And of course, the iPod Touch 7th generation, which cannot be upgraded to iOS 16. That's another one of those products that Apple basically killed operating system updates shortly after you could last buy that product from Apple. Not quite as bad as what they did with the Watch Series 3 recently, where they kept selling it for eight months after they stopped doing security updates. But nevertheless... Okay, now, Josh, you've been repeating this every episode for months now, and they finally stopped selling it. So valid point, but let's move on from this, Josh. (laughs) It's hard for me to. So this is really frustrating for me, right? So I wrote this article about this. We talked about this last week, and it got like zero press coverage. What do I have to do to like how I'm trying to shout from the rooftops and like get anybody to pay attention? Apple has done something really egregiously terrible here by knowingly selling products that are insecure that have actively exploited vulnerabilities and nobody wants to pay attention. You can understand my frustration, I hope. I understand. Now, an interesting number here is that iPads, only 53% of devices introduced in the last four years are using iPad OS 16. I wonder why iPad users are much less likely to update. I wonder if it has something to do with maybe people are, you know, people are holding the iPhone all day long. They've got it in their pocket. They're always checking it. And maybe people just don't necessarily check their iPads as often. Maybe they're just using them, you know, in the evening to watch a show and they plug them in and they don't really pay as much attention to app updates or operating system updates. I imagine it has a little more to do with just the fact that like you're carrying your phone on you all the time and you're probably not carrying your iPad on you all the time. So here's something interesting that I saw when I updated my iPads this week. After the software update was done, a screen displayed software update complete. Your iPad has been updated to iPadOS 16.4. Future software updates will be automatically downloaded and installed for you as they are released. You can manage this in software update settings. So they're trying to force people to have automatic updates because Fewer people have automatic updates on the iPad. Now, I didn't see this on an iPhone, but I did see this on an iPad. Yeah, that is interesting. And and it's a good thing. I mean, I I think, again, with iPadOS and iOS, I think it's okay to automatically update them, generally speaking, because if you're not using them overnight, you know, most of the time, if, if you're on a desktop computer you've got a bunch of things that you may lose if your computer just restarts and you're less likely to lose things on a mobile device just because of the way, the nature of the way those apps work, right? They sort of freeze themselves in a last used state so that when you're switching apps, they can hide in the background and not really be using up any CPU, which allows you to save a lot of battery life. The Mac, that doesn't necessarily happen. If your computer restarts because of a system update, then you lose, for example, all of your private browsing tabs in third-party browsers. Interestingly, not in Safari. And I think maybe Apple does that on purpose for that reason, so that maybe at some point they, we could get to the point where Apple will be 
be automatically rebooting your Mac to install security updates and things like that. It's a good point about Safari. Anytime I install an app that has a Safari extension from the Mac App Store, you have to quit Safari. And I always hesitate to do it because, oh, I've got to quit Safari. But then I realize that you quit Safari, it reopens all the tabs and windows and everything is just as it was before. Including private browsing tabs. And I think Safari is the only browser on the desktop that does that, as far as I know. Yeah, so it's a painless operation. Anyway, we also want to talk about new Mac malware. And this is one of the coolest Mac malware names I've heard in years. Mac Stealer? I mean, come on, guys. Malware gets like fancy names and logos and theme songs, and someone gets malware and they call it Mac Stealer? Yeah, this is not the most original name, but, you know, Uptics, I guess is how you pronounce the name of this company that founded UPTYCS. They came across this, this malware that has some capabilities that we've seen before, but this is a new strain of malware that does a lot of the, the, typical things that you would expect from a piece of malware called Mac Stealer. <laughs> it steals stuff from your computer. One of the things that it does, and probably the most interesting, does try to extract data from your keychain. It will try to exfiltrate certain types of files that it's looking for. But I think the most interesting thing here is that it collects the passwords, cookies, and credit card data from three particular browsers, Firefox, Google Chrome, and Brave. Now, you'll notice that Safari is not on that list, right? Isn't this data supposed to be encrypted? How can it copy this data if it's encrypted? Well, interestingly enough, it's pretty easy actually to export this and exfiltrate this kind of data because all you really have to do is bundle up all of the stuff in the application support folder. So basically every Mac app has... In the user's home directory, there's a hidden folder called library. And within that is application support. And then pretty much all your apps have some folder inside of application support that holds data related to that app. It's more than just like the, the settings and things. In, in particular with browsers, it includes all of your cookies and caches and your extensions and all those kind of things as well. So if you copy that folder from application support and put it on another computer, now you've got that entire browser setup on another computer. So all you really need to do to, to steal people's Google Chrome passwords, for example, is just to grab that folder, put it on another computer. That's it. So basically, on the other computer, you're acting as if that's your application support folder and it's giving you all the data? Exactly. Yep. You don't have to log in to Google Chrome. Correct. Right. All of your, all of your data is just there. <laughs> because the cookie shows that you're logged in. Yeah. So this is kind of a problem, right? It sounds like more than a problem. This sounds like a very serious problem. Yeah. And in fact, Google has said this in the past, and I'm trying to remember whether this ever actually changed with Google, but their policy for years has been that Google Chrome assumes that if you are logged into your computer, then you shouldn't have to re-authenticate in order to see your passwords. In any case, if you have one of those three browsers, it's it's got all of, all of your cookies now and anything else that you have done in those browsing sessions. It's, so it's got your history. It's got potentially they have access now to your passwords and credit card data as well. 
Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a Chrome extension that steals Facebook session cookies. And it may not sound like much, but this can be a very serious problem. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. So before we went to the break, we were talking about cookies in Chrome, and there's a story about a fake GPT Chrome extension that steals Facebook session cookies and breaks into accounts. Now, Chrome extensions, and all browsers have extensions now, and there's plenty of fake extensions, and there's been malware in Chrome extensions, probably a lot less in Safari extensions. But what stands out in this is that if this extension can steal a Facebook session cookie, so this is the file that's written on your computer by Facebook with information about you that says you are logged into your account. So when you load a new page in Facebook or click on something, it doesn't make you log in again. If someone steals that file and puts it on another computer, it's as if they were you. It's as if they're putting on a disguise a Josh Wong mask and being Josh Wong on a different computer. Now, we were discussing this before we started recording. And what I find interesting is that it's relatively banal to steal this sort of cookie. And it's relatively simple to, as you were saying before the break, just put that application support folder or cookie file onto another computer. And that means you could be logged into all sorts of accounts of someone else's computer. Right. So this this particular Chrome extension was in the Chrome Web Store. This was called ChatGPT for Google. It actually has nothing to do with ChatGPT. It does not belong to OpenAI. But somehow this got into the Chrome Web Store and it had ulterior motives. Now, this shouldn't happen, right? There should be a better vetting process that should never allow this kind of thing to happen. But unfortunately, this does happen from time to time. More often with Chrome extensions in particular, what often will happen is that a developer kind of stops working on a Chrome extension and they just kind of let it stagnate. And then somebody else, some other supposed company comes along and say, and offers a bunch of money to the developer of this extension and says, hey, we'll take over this extension for you. And so the new developer that takes over that extension, they'll maliciously modify it. So now it does some other things that it never was supposed to have done. And, and now it can do things like stealing session cookies and other things like that. So why is session cookies such a big problem? We did talk about Firesheep a, a couple of episodes ago and how 
back when that extension came out, at that time, websites were not using HTTPS for the entire browsing session, meaning from the moment that you landed on the website and throughout every page that you accessed on the site, they typically would not use HTTPS except for the pages that required you to log in. And then once you logged in, it would kick you back to HTTP. Well, most websites are HTTPS across the board, specifically because of things like FireSheep and the awareness that it gave the industry of how easy it was to steal session cookies. Well, we still have a problem with session cookies. It's just not as obvious anymore. Because, you know, if you go to a cafe or someplace with public Wi-Fi, somebody who's using FireSheep is probably not going to be able to get into a lot of accounts because most major accounts anyway, Facebook and Twitter and banks and and other sites are using HTTPS for the entire browsing session. And so you won't be able to steal those websites cookies using something like FireSheep. However, we still have an issue with cookies because of things like this malware that can steal a session cookie from your computer and put that cookie onto another machine. Now that other machine behaves exactly like it is you. So now whoever stole your cookies is able to log in as you, they don't have to even log in. So they're not typing in a password. They don't have to know your password because you've already put it in, in your browser And now your browser has that session cookie that basically is authenticating on your behalf. It's telling the site, hey, this is still me, and the site is trusting that cookie. Even if you have two-factor authentication enabled for the account. Exactly, right. So this is a real problem, and we're seeing more of this where malware is doing things like this. They're stealing your session cookies. Now, this malware that we mentioned before the break, this new Mac malware, MacStealer, that is doing other things as well. So it's also exporting your keychain, and it's at least exporting the databases from your browsers that hold onto your passwords. So even if you have a master password set in Firefox, and even if you've got a newer version of of Chrome that prompts you for your operating system password in order to be able to unlock and get access to the passwords. There's still things like offline attacks where somebody could eventually break in. They could guess what your special password is, your master password in Firefox. And once they guess that master password, now they've got access to all other passwords that you've saved in Firefox. So the session cookies thing is interesting. Why isn't the server or the browser or someone checking to see that it is the same user? Isn't there something to indicate that it's not the same person? Well, we we were talking about this before we started recording today, and, and we came up with some ideas on how websites could be doing a better job of verifying that that cookie actually belongs to that user and hasn't been stolen by a hacker, for example. One thing that they could potentially do is they could look at your IP address because if an attacker is now using your cookie from across the world somewhere, they're going to have a different IP address, of course, and that could be one indicator. However, Maybe IP addresses aren't the best way to approach this. For example, if you are on a mobile device and you're logged into a website in your browser, 
your IP address is going to be changing a lot more often, especially if you're not at home or, you know, on the same Wi-Fi network at all times. If you're just out in public and not connected to Wi-Fi, your IP address may change anytime that you're, you know, moving to a different cell tower, for example. It all kind of depends on your particular mobile provider and how they choose to issue IP addresses. But your IP address may be changing much more regularly in cases like that. Also, if you're using a VPN, anytime you reconnect to the VPN, you may be getting a different IP address. Anytime you connect to a a new Wi-Fi network, again, with mobile devices, this is a lot more complicated to deal with that from just purely looking at your IP address. But if you're using a VPN, VPNs have a limited range of addresses. So someone could steal session cookies and try them out on different IP addresses that they know are used by the VPN, right? Like they could log in with VPNs that people use and see if the session cookies work. They could, but I mean, you're talking about thousands and thousands of servers. It would pr- it would be very difficult. It would be like, you know, you would be really lucky. I mean, <laughs> to happen to come across an IP address that somebody happened to have and maybe you you could kind of figure that out. I mean, you could at least see whether someone is using a VPN on the on the computer that you've stolen cookies from and you could kind of figure out what VPN server they're connected to maybe based on the IP address, their public IP address. And then from there, you could kind of try to keep retrying, you know, to see if you can eventually get that same IP address. It, it's a lot of work. Right. But Tom Cruise could do it. Or if if I may change our reference, Kiefer Sutherland, because he's in this new TV series with all sorts of computer stuff and conspiracies, he'd figure out a way to do it. Yeah, he might be able to figure out a way to do it. Okay. So what other solutions can we have? I mean, this isn't very processor intensive, right? For a server to check every time a new page is loaded to make sure that you're the right person. There are ways that they can identify you, aren't there? Well, so one thing that could be done, and and you mentioned this when we were kind of just back and forth talking about this, and I mentioned IP addresses and how that's probably not very practical. And you said, what about browser fingerprinting? And I said, oh, you mean like user agent strings, which is one way that a website can know who you are. And depending on what browser you're using, on what platform, and whether you're using a developer or, you know, one of those like bleeding edge versions, like I use Edge Canary, for example, there's not that many people using Edge Canary on a Mac. And if you go to a webpage like miunique.org, they have a whole series of things that they show you that basically any website can do to fingerprint you. One of the things is the user agent string, which includes things like your browser, your platform, and a couple of other uh, details. But there's more that a browser can do to fingerprint you. They, They can also see your time zone. They can also see things like your language. They can also see whether you have do not track enabled. They can also see a whole bunch of other things, including your screen size, which is kind of interesting. Well, screen size is actually important. It's called the viewport in website design, and it determines whether a page is displaying all of its content or a narrower version of the content. If you go to the Intego Mac security blog in a desktop browser and you make the window narrower, you'll see how it changes when it gets to certain sizes. So... All of these things together will give a pretty good profile. Again, if you go to amiunique.org and you click on view my browser fingerprint, in about a second, the page will load and it'll give you a giant list of 
all sorts of information that any website is able to get about you. And they'll tell you whether your particular browser fingerprint is unique. Almost any time that I go to this page, I'm told that, yes, I'm unique among the, you know, 1.5 million fingerprints in their entire data set. And again, that's partly because I'm using unusual browsers. I'm not using Safari, for example. Well, I am using Safari and I'm still unique. And, and when I look at some of the properties, for example, the user agent that you were discussing before, and this is what a browser sends to a server to, so the server knows how to respond to certain things. It says that it is less than 0.01%. Now, this could be because I updated to the latest version of macOS a couple of days ago, and there's not that many people who go to this website, and they're mostly security people. But there are other things like the list of fonts, 0.27% of people have the same fonts as me. Only 0.03% have the same screen width and screen height. Now, that's surprising. I have a 21 and a half inch iMac. I think a lot of people do. But again, the people who go to this site are probably Windows users. They have 16.9 screens, whatever. But what's important to say is that this is just the basic information that a browser sends as soon as you go to a website, if the browser requests it. So any website, any server could use this to ensure that your session cookie is still the same user that logged in and created that cookie. So this is something to, to be aware of, just in general from a privacy perspective. But bringing this back to what could websites be doing better to make sure that, you know, that cookie actually belongs to you. I mean, we know Facebook is already fingerprinting us, right? I mean, there's obviously they're doing that. So why not compare that browser fingerprint with the cookie, with the session ID that is being sent to the site from the browser based on this cookie, right? So if somebody steals your cookie and now they're unique browser fingerprint is different in any way, that should be a sign to the website that they need to require you to put in your password again for that website before you can do anything else, before you can post, before you can see anything that anyone else has posted, see private messages, anything like that. I'm certainly going to be advocating for that website start doing this because it's, it's a simple step and it solves the problem of stealing people's session cookies completely. Sure, there are maybe ways that you could spoof that browser fingerprint, but they're very, it would be very hard to do relative to just stealing somebody's cookie, for example. That's, that's easy to do. Anyone can do this right now. It is a problem. Okay, before we finish, I want to reply to some listener feedback from William, who said, can I use an AirTag to help people locate our house? We're in a new housing development where the streets and addresses are not on Google Maps. And we had to think about this, and this brings up some interesting points. Because in order to do this, the person using the AirTag has to link that AirTag to their phone. So you can't set up an AirTag and give it to someone else, right? This isn't the solution. But there are several solutions that we would like to share. The Find My App allows you to share your location. You can share it till the end of the day. You can share it permanently. A lot of people, I don't know about you, but I've got location sharing with a couple people. You can share GPS coordinates using a drop pin from Google Maps. I'm pretty sure Apple Maps has this too. That's a little bit 
gnarly for me because all those, you know, long decimal points and all that. And I suggested to Josh when we were discussing this, and he had never heard of what three words. So if you go to what three words.com, that's what word and then three digit then words, you will be able to get a three word address for want of a better term for any three meter square location in the entire world. So I'm just going onto the website. And if I go to, let's see, Pigs Saki Wooden, this is someplace in the River Cherwell. I don't know where this thing thinks I am. I believe that's in Oxford. Go a mile away, Spirit Nest Army. Go across to someplace else, Blast Shine Oath. They're easy to remember. They're easy to write down. You can use the What Three Words website, and they also have an app. And it's a really practical way to precisely indicate where you are. It's a three-meter square and the entire earth is covered with three meter squares. I'm just the the old school drop a pin on Google Maps and send, send somebody a link there. But yeah, this, this is a great question. So if any listeners have questions like this, you can email us at podcast at intigo.com or you can fill out the contact form at podcast.intigo.com. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.